We're going to be considering uh, some difficult and sensitive topics today because God, because God makes providential claims over life and death, it's good for us to consider it. The things that God says in the Bible sometimes are very, very difficult. And we need to cover the difficult topics as well as the easy ones. So the sermon's going to get right down where some of us live, and we're going to consider some of the most painful uh, events in human life. But uh, first, I want to remind you where we've been. We, um, when we speak of providence, we refer to the fact, the simple, simplest way to say it is when God creates something, he sustains it. That's providence. He's going to provide for it. God created something, he sustains it. Now the question is, why? Because many of us create gardens and don't sustain them. We you know, have houseplants that we don't sustain. and God's not like us, is he? Um, he does this. So that his people will praise and glorify the glory of his grace forever and ever. Everyone who knows Christ will be sustained in this life. And in this life, they will have their eyes open to see the glory of Christ, but it's through a glass dimly. It is only when we get to eternity that our eyes will be open to see his glory in all its fullness. And so God attends over everything in the natural world, from the greatest of the cosmic systems to the smallest molecule, atom, and even down to the very cells of our body, God attends to all of that. Now Hebrews says, Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, And it says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so we can scientifically have an explanation for it, but that scientific explanation is still in the background. That's immediate. The the ultimate is that Christ is upholding the world by the word of his power. Christ also, God also attends to the comings and goings of nations. Nations rise, nations fall. God said that he's over their boundaries. He's over the the rising and the fall of of kings. He superintends uh, the acts of Satan. Now, Satan has tremendous power to inflict pain and suffering in various ways, almost innumerable ways. Most recent example we could think of publicly would be how Hamas is treating the children of the Jewish hostages, the Jewish the child hostages over there. Horrific ways that they are uh, treating them. You see um, just evil coming out. But Satan's power and his freedom are limited by the Lord. But he's still, like I said, he has tremendous power. For example, he has the power to blind people's eyes so they can't see the gospel. That's what 2 Corinthians 4.4 says. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to do what? They can't see the gospel. 
the, the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who's the image of God, they cannot see it. That's what Satan can and does do all the time to probably most people. But Satan is not sovereign. God's sovereign. Amen? And so for that fact, God is the one who opens the eyes of the glorious gospel of Christ to those who are saved. And we see this. Just, just um, this week, I was talking to someone, and they had been confirmed. They knew all the scriptures as a teenager, young teenager. And it was not until they got to their 20s that all of a sudden, they said it was like a switch flipped. Switch flipped, and all of a sudden, it was very clear they understood it. They got saved. You know what that is? That's two verses later. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so when you get saved, the God who said, let there be light, is saying, let there be light in that person's soul. That's, that's the providence of God. One more encouragement before we dive into this message, and I really want you to think about this. We're going to be looking at some difficult biblical claims about God's providence today. And so we need to be sure that we take Scripture for what it says and realize that there are things that we cannot reconcile. And we, in order to be all right with that, we need to consider what God said. This is what God said uh, about himself. He said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know what he's saying? He's saying, my, I want to use my hand, my, my ways are so much larger than yours, I, I'm so far above you that there's an infinite gap between us. And you're not going to understand. You know what that verse says? And since God is infinite and we are not, there are claims in Scripture that we are not going to be able to reconcile. But what we need to realize is that we are, have to be careful not to assume logical human conclusions, but instead take all the counsel of Scripture and trust God for what we cannot understand or reconcile in our minds. Let me give you an example. Here's one example. If, if there's not a maverick molecule, if God controls everything in life or, or in the, the universe, if, if kings rise and fall according to God's plan, nations come and go according to God's plan, then the logic Human logic would say, well, then we don't have free will. We're just robots. Right? Wouldn't that be a logical assumption? But the Bible teaches that God chose before creation to allow sin. God doesn't make us sin, but he allows sin. And yet, it's something that he hates. It's something that's against his character, and he punishes sin, but at the same time he's doing all that, he takes sin and he turns around and uses it for his own glory. Here's the example. 
the most heinous, sinful act in, in the entire human history was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, God ordained that from before the beginning of the world. The Bible says that in the fullness of time it happened, right? You know what the Bible says? In the fullness of time. And yet, the men who performed Christ's crucifixion did their evil acts out of their own wills. Now, you explain to me how all that works. We can't. Because God's ways are above ours. There are things that we can't understand. So, God is God and we are not. So today as we look at God's providence over life and death, and next week over human comings and goings and sin and the Christian life, don't allow yourself to come to unbiblical conclusions and realize that sometimes Scripture is going to push against things that you've always believed. And so I encourage you to humble yourself before the sovereign God uh, who is mysterious in his glory. Now, the sermon points, I'm just going to give a set of declarative statements as we work through this. That's the best way I could figure out to do this. And so let's go through these statements. Statement number one, God made everything and therefore owns everything, including every person. That's where we get to Psalm 24 in verse number one. Look at what it says. The psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's in the fullness. Now, we're all right with that, aren't we? We're all right with the moon in the mountains, you know, the animals. We're all right with him. I, I saw a manatee last week, never seen one before, cute fat thing, you know. God owns those. We're all right with that. But then it continues, and those who dwell therein. Uh-oh. You mean God not only owns the earth and the animals, he owns people. And what the Bible says? It says the earth is the Lord's. God himself said it in Psalm 50 and verse number 12. The world in its fullness are mine. God said to Job, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Now what's under the whole heaven? Everything. Who is under the whole heaven? Yeah, we are. So we're his. As much as Westerners like to think of themselves as being autonomous beings, the fact of the matter is that every person in the world is a possession of God to do with whatever he wants. Now, when we make that statement, and that's a, that's a shocking statement, that's a hard statement, we also balance that with this truth, and that is God is good and gracious and merciful in kind, right? And so we have to keep all of that in mind. I'd rather God own the, the world than Satan, if you want to think of it that way. I'd rather God own the world than any of you guys. <laughs> Can I say that to my church? <clears throat> I lost my place. Psalm 100 and verse number 3. God makes these claims because he made us. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. God made us. We do things that we want with the things that we make. Right? God made us. This truth means then, by implication, our duty is to worship him. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our what? 
our maker. You go to the book of Revelation, you see that uh, in chapter number four, that's the creation song. They're singing glory to God for his creation. Now, God even gets more specific. Um, not only does he, did he make everything, but he is the author of life and he gives life to whomever he wishes. Think about John 17. This is Jesus praying. And he said, since you have given him authority over all flesh. Now, authority, that's legitimate authority, not illegitimate authority. Have you ever, have you ever seen illegitimate authority? Like, uh, you, you have a, vol a group of volunteers, and there's a volunteer event going on, and somebody takes it upon themselves to be the authority. You've been in those situations, haven't you? This is not God. God is the authority. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to do what? What's the authority? To give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So God gives life, doesn't he? Paul tells us that we are the possession of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So since we are bought with a price, we are not autonomous Westerners that can do whatever we want with our bodies. My body, my choice is not legit in, in the Bible, um, in Bible truth. We are given, we are bought to glorify God. And so God, God made everything. God owns everything and everyone. But let's move on. I want to approach this one with some sensitivity um, and understand that's what I'm trying to do. Not only did God make all life, but conception and birth are works of God as well. The Bible teaches that the opening and closing of the womb or the giving and preventing of life, if that's the way you want to look at it, are the choice of God. If you've read 1 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1 introduces us to Hannah, who could have no children. Now, the proximate cause most likely was a medical cause. If, if a doctor was alive during that day, they could look at it. He would say, you can't have children because of X. But the ultimate reason is found in verse number 5, which says this, the Lord closed her womb. Now, that's distressful, very distressing. But as you go through the narrative, she prayed. It was very distressing to her. She prayed and prayed and fasted, and God heard her prayer and remembered her. In verse number 19, and the Lord remembered her, and in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. In Genesis 29, 31, we read this. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Now, who made Rachel's womb barren? God did. It's clear from one chapter later, chapter 30. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. So God is taking, he is telling us, look, I open wombs, I close wombs. What about Ruth? You're familiar with the Ruth story? So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. So every conception is given to us 
by the Lord. That's his claim. But then there's this whole series of births that shouldn't have been because of um, what we would label impossible reasons. For example, Sarah. Sarah gave birth to Isaac. Now, how old was Sarah? Old, right? 90 plus. Any 90-year-olds in here want to have kids? Actually, any 50-year-olds in here want to have kids? <laughs> right? But she was old. Miraculously, she gave birth when she was past the age of giving birth. This is true also of Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. An angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You should call his name John. She was past the age of bearing children. Now, we can't move on without talking about Mary, can we? Mary was a virgin. The birth of Jesus illustrates the absolute sovereignty of God over the natural and the supernatural realms in the process of birth. When, when Mary doubted what Gabriel was saying, Gabriel reminded her of her cousin Elizabeth, who conceived in her old age. And this is Gabriel's conclusion in verse number 37 of chapter 1. For nothing will be impossible with God. God opens wombs, closes wombs, miraculous births, what we would call natural births. He does it all. The Apostle Paul had this to say um, when he said, when he was making the point that God is God and nothing can stop him from giving life. Look at what he says. God gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. Is there any more power than that? There's not any more authority than that. God created every human life and holds all life into his, in his hand. Listen to Job. Um, the words of Job, if he should set his heart to gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish and man would return to dust. In other words, um, if, I, if God decided that the Holy Spirit is like the breath of life, you read all the way back in Genesis 1, the spirit moved upon the face of the deep, right? He's the one that imparts life. If God just decided I'm going to remove my breath, my Holy Spirit, everybody's going to die. That's what Job said. God himself, um, well, uh, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. This is what Job concluded when he was talking about it. When the lives of his ten children and his servants were snuffed out, um, Job rightly concluded, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, the Lord gives many times and sometimes he does not. I think next to ministering to someone who just lost a loved one, the most excruciating aspect of my pastoral ministry is ministering to a woman who cannot have children. Honestly, I, I cry with them. My heart aches for that dear sister in Christ almost more than any other situation. It hurts, doesn't it? Often when we think of providence, we think of a good and pleasant things, but it's true that um, it's biblical that there are bitter providences from the Lord as well. What was Job's second statement? He said the Lord gives, what did, then did what did the Lord do? 
takes away. And we've already seen that God owns all life and is the sustainer of life. And he may give and take life at any time and in any way he pleases. And when he does, it's, the fulfill, it's, a full, it's in the fullness of his wisdom. It's in the fullness of his goodness. It's in the fullness of his mercy and kindness. Listen to God's declaration in Deuteronomy. See now, I, even I am he, there is no God beside me. Here's his claim. I kill, I make alive. I wound, and I heal. Now you think that our Western mentality, right after saying something like that, he'd say he would apologize. That's what we would do. That's not what he did. He said, I kill, make alive, I wound, and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. He further pinned, I am God and there is no other God. You know, we've made wonderful medical advances in the world, haven't we? There, there are diseases and sicknesses that just 100 years ago <clears throat> were either a death sentence or severely crippling. You'd be crippled for the rest of your life. Today, they're just a nuisance. But with all of our medical advances, when God calls your loved one home, there's no amount of medicine that will help. I know that firsthand. And the same goes for opening the womb. God has given us wonderful medical procedures. Now remember this, every single life is a gift from God. So no matter what you think of those medical procedures, we have medical procedures that allow formerly barren women to have children. What a blessing. Isn't that a blessing? But again, if God should decide to close the womb, there is no medical procedure, as wonderful as they are, that's going to open that womb. Because birth, conception, is a gift from God. Every birth and every death was and is ordained by God. Let's move on to a, another statement. God takes life in masses, and sometimes he takes it one by one. God sometimes takes um, life in mass. For example, the biggest example I can think of is a flood. I don't think there's any more mass than this, right? And the Lord now set up for this verse genesis 6 1 says that the thoughts of man's heart is only evil continually the whole world is evil and so he said he regretted that he made man on the earth and agreed with his heart and so the lord said i will blot out man whom i've created from the face of the land animals and creeping things birds of heaven for i'm sorry that i've made them and so when the when the flood occurred this is moses summary moses summarized it in uh, genesis 7 22 Everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. And who does that include? Man, animals, creeping things. I'm all right with the creeping things. And the birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those that were with him on the ark. What about... Um, other scriptural instances, such as um, 
in 2 Kings 19, in order to protect Jerusalem, this is what God said. For I will defend the city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And what did he do? That night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Syrians. And when the people arose in the morning, notice the word, behold, that's shocking. Behold, 185,000, there were dead bodies everywhere. Now, most of the time when we see mass um, killings, uh, they're, they're what we would call natural catastrophes. For example, I mentioned this before, the earthquake in Turkey. The earthquake earlier this year in Turkey, between Turkey and Syria, there were over 67,000 people that died, just like that. If you were, uh, remember the 2004 tsunami in Indonesia, in the Pacific realm, in, in that tsunami, over 200,000 people died, just like that. But most of the time, multitudes um, are, um, there are taken, but most of us don't experience death and sorrow that way. We experience it because of the loss of individuals that we love. Sometimes we're left second-guessing our actions, thinking somehow if we'd done something differently, our loved one might still be around. Ask me how I know that question. It's always good to remember this. This is something I've said to uh, many times. It's a quote, um, and I don't know who said it originally. We are all immortal until our work is done. You can bank on that. That means I'm immortal until God decides to take me home. So if I want to go skydiving tomorrow, I can do it. No problem. I'm not. When, when Heather looked at Jessica last summer and told her, God has numbered, God has numbered my days. And I will live all of those days and no more and no less she was absolutely right because the Bible says that God determines the length of every life. Look at what Psalm 139 says. Read it very carefully. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That's poetic. What does that verse actually say? Let me, let's look at it again. Your eyes saw me before there was any substance. Not substance, my substance, before there was anything on earth because of the last phrase. There were no days yet. This is before creation. Before creation, you wrote in a book what would happen in every day of every person's life until the very last one. You know what that verse says? That's what the claim is by the Lord. Sometimes God chooses to deliver us from death. God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belongs deliverances from death. That, that would include anything, heart attack, cancer, car accidents, all of it. Human stupidity, <laughs> you know, watch this type thing. My uh, famous last words, right? Um, 
my, I was talking to my friend in Memphis uh, Friday, his name's Mike, and um, he had a massive heart attack 21 years ago when he was 48, 21 years ago. He was, he had a quadruple bypass. He's in the, the heart ICU, whatever that unit is called. I can't remember what it's called. Cardiac ICU, right? And he's talking to the ICU nurse, and he looked at him and said, you know, if I can live 10 more years, I'll be 58. That's pretty good. The nurse looked at him like he was crazy because of the shape he was in. In other words, you'll be lucky to live 10 years. That was 21 years ago. And so God delivers from death whenever he pleases. He decides every breath that we take. In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Isn't that great to know? In his hand is our breath. He's a good God. He's a merciful God. Last week I just finished uh, Revelation in chapter 6 of Revelation, gives us a pointed reminder that God is sovereign over every life, the length of each life, and even how they die. And in chapter 6, um, the scene shifts to the martyrs that are under the altar in heaven. And these mar martyrs are in heaven, and they say this. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood, on those who dwell on the earth. Now let me help you out. The little last phrase there, those who dwell on the earth, in Revelation, that's code for unbelievers. The, the people who are tormenting them. This is what uh, was said. Then each were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Now, I want you to think about what this is. What's the claim here? That there are going to be martyrs, and God is not going to stop the martyrs. And we know from human history that people are martyred in all kinds of horrific ways, aren't they? All kinds of different ways. And God decides not only to whom that happens and how that happens, but how many there is. And he's got a number, and when that number is complete, what is God going to do? He's coming back. He's coming back. That's the claims of God. Now, this is a, I told you this is a very serious topic we're talking about, but I want to end with a word of encouragement. What are we to do in difficult providences? There are people who are living hard providences right now and the world has been turned upside down in reality um, I, I wrote much of the sermon in tears you can attest to that um, I, I couldn't stand it when the staff came down to my office this week tears were for dear sisters whose womb God had closed Tears were for parents who had a stillborn child or had a baby that died or a child that died. Tears were for those who lost their spouses, including personal tears. 
events and holidays and things that were once a source of joy are now only a source of sorrow and pain. You who are living hard providences, you live in the opposite world, don't you? Where everything's just a reminder of what once was. It's not, it's not the most wonderful time of the year. It's, it's not the happiest season of all. It's not at all. It's painful. Now, how do you live? How do you draw strength and joy in that? And what do, we, what do we learn about God and all that? It would take a long time, really, to talk about all this, but I want to give you some things, three things real quick. Number one, you pray for things that you've never needed to pray for, and God answers them. God who loves his wounded sheep desires to answer those prayers. In reality, I was somewhat jealous. God answered so many little prayers that Heather would offer to him just all the time. They just seemed so insignificant. And he was answering that while she was suffering. Now, God is doing that for me. He's answering prayer. I get I get the opportunity to enter into the same grace that she experienced when she suffered because I'm now in the same spot. Never had to never had to ask these prayers before. His his grace has allowed me to enter into the blessing of many small prayers and these blessings come to those who are in the deepest of hardship. And so when you are in difficult providences, you know, God wants to minister to his wounded sheep and he will welcomes your prayers and he answers your prayers. I was telling somebody today, and I'm not going to give the story, I, I had a prayer answered, I'm going to say within 15 minutes this week. Stunning answer to prayer that only God could have done. And so God does that. Secondly, Hard providences tend to strip away everything that doesn't matter from our lives. And we now see Jesus as the bread of life. We naturally hunger for things that don't fully satisfy, don't we? We, we naturally hunger for a good marriage. That doesn't fully satisfy. We naturally hunger for a nice family. Nice as your family is, they're not very satisfying either. Uh, we, we naturally hunger for a good job. You can go to the person with the best job in the world. They're still not fully satisfied. Or good relationships. Christ Jesus is the bread of life. And he said this. He said, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst and it is, it is times when you're going through the most difficult providences, whether it's chronic health or whatever else it is, it is only Jesus Christ who satisfies, and he wants to satisfy your hunger and your thirst. And I know for my part 
that God is the only one who can give me what I need. And I'll be honest with you, I have never, ever hungered for God like I do right now. And you will never hunger for God like you do in a difficult providence, in difficult times that he sends his way. No human, no job, no earthly treasure can give me what my soul hungers, can give you what your soul hungers. And when life is good and everything seems to be going well, we don't realize that we're pursuing things that don't satisfy thirst and hunger. It's only when the difficult times happen. But the third thing the difficult providences do is it ignites our praise and the joy of our salvation. How? Well, are you, you're familiar with the missionaries that died in Ecuador in, in 19, I think it was 56. Uh, Steve, Nate Saint, uh, Jim Elliott, and, and the, the, the missionaries. Some, many of you are familiar with them. Uh, Nate Saint's son, Steve Saint, I've heard him speak a number of times. I don't know how many here have. I'm sure several of you have. He was, he was at a funeral one time, and he was um, speaking to the, the hard providence of the death of a loved one. And he was speaking to a family who had just lost their father. And he said, these, in these hard providences, such as the death of a loved one, there is a, there's a difference between believers and unbelievers. And the difference is this. And I want you to think about this. For unbelievers, pain is fundamental and joy is superficial because it will not last. But for believers... The pain is superficial and the joy is fundamental because when it's all said and done, our joy never ends. And that's the difference between believers and unbelievers, isn't it? Yes, there is pain here. Yes, there is sorrow here. Yes, there are tears here. But when we get to heaven, it's all joy. All tears are wiped away. Isn't that wonderful? God never makes mistakes. And if you are suffering right now, he knows exactly what he's doing, and you are not suffering for nothing. You are suffering for a purpose. Now, I've never been much of a poetry person, um, but I read a poem last week that spoke to my heart. I remember hearing this poem years ago and it never made much of an impact on me because again, um, I didn't like poetry. But it really meant a lot to me this week. And if, you're, if you are suffering a hard providence, whatever it might be, health, whatever, I think this will speak to you and hopefully I can make it through it. I stood as a beggar before God in his royal throne, and I begged him for one priceless gift, which I could call my own. I took the gift from out his hand, but as I would depart, I cried, but Lord, this is a thorn and has pierced my heart. This is a strange and hurtful gift which thou hast given me. He said, my child, I give good gifts, I gave my best to thee. So I took it home, 
And though at first the cruel thorn hurt sore, as long years pass, I learned at last to love it more and more. I learned that he never gives a thorn without this added grace. He takes the thorn to pin aside the veil which hides its face. When God gives deep, dark providences to people, it is given so that we might know and treasure him more deeply through the losses in our life and that we may see his face because he reveals things about himself that can only be revealed during these times. So whatever deep pain has been brought to you by our loving, merciful, and sovereign God, know that you are in the hands of love and know this. One day, when you see him face to face, you will be able to praise the glory of his grace. And that takes us all the way back to the purpose of providence. All providence, what we would call good or hard, are for the praise of the glory of his grace. I hope that you believe that because it's true. Lord, my heart is heavy for people in hard providences, whether it's the person suffering with chronic illness that will not go away, the young woman who cannot have children, the parent who just lost a child, young or old, the ones who lost a spouse, because the sorrow is deep and the sorrow is pervasive. And I pray that you will comfort them, teach them about yourself, and most of all, Lord, pray that you will pin back the veil so they can see the face of Christ more clearly. In his name we pray. Amen.